following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Today's call to worship is Psalm 126. It's a song of ascent, um, as in climbing up. The people would sing this song as they were making their way up the mountain into the holy city to worship at the temple, reminding themselves of God's presence in the past and calling out to God for presence in the present. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. So, greetings from Finland once again. And I'm so happy that I can be reading to you and and I can uh, serve (laughs) your community from this far away. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the reading. Yeah. There's stuff on my heart, but, but I'll, I'll do the reading. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, so that they might declare my praise. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Vila. Um, you, may, you all may remember that uh, during our remote worship season, Vila uh, actually gave a sermon from Finland over Zoom. One of the one of the beautiful things about that time was that um, the playing field was totally leveled between folks who were right here in Rochester and folks who were in other parts of the country or the world. And I have not forgotten, as I know many of you also have not forgotten, that at that time I said, once it's, um, once it's safe to travel inter, uh, uh, continentally again, <laughs> is that the right word? Internationally, I think was what I should have said. Um, I like, unlike Vila, I'm speaking my first language right now. Um, I think English might be his third or fourth. But um, at that time, I said, when it's safe for international travel, we want to fly you over here to give a sermon in person. Do you all remember I said that? And I'm pretty sure that he agreed to that. Do you all remember that he agreed to that? Okay. Okay, so I guess we'll, uh, we'll have another thing to talk about at the leadership team meeting this afternoon. <laughs> so, okay, let me start with a, a quick poll. I often like to take the temperature of the room 
and many times I find myself surprised at how, how you respond to questions like this one, which is this. I want to ask you how you feel about change. So how many of you, by a show of hands or groan, really do not like change? All right. You just really do not like it, especially when someone else changes things up on you? Yeah, okay, the hands just went higher. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, well, we're going to talk about something different. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. Is there anybody in the room who does like change, who just kind of thrives on it, who loves when things get mixed up and, you, yeah, likes to improvise? And, right. Okay. All right. So perhaps as much as any other time when I've done such a poll, there are some of you in the room looking at others of you in the room going, I had no idea. I was sitting right next to someone who was so wrong. <laughs> right. Well, this, this sermon is entitled, New Things for People Who Hate Change. <laughs> Which is not to say that it's, it's going to be no use to the, the second group. I hope that it, that it will be. And I hope that it won't be too painful for the first group. Because I will start right out of the gate by saying that I believe that God does new things all the time. And you heard it right in that reading from the prophet Isaiah. I'll, I'll restate several times probably this morning the key verse, which is, Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Spoiler alert. Um, no. <laughs> Usually we do not perceive it. This series is called Lenten Jubilee, and it's all about combining um, the, the traditional ideas of Lent, which tend to be somewhat somber and reflective and repent, uh, uh, centered on repentance, with the biblical idea of Jubilee, which, is, which literally means trumpet blast, when the people would rejoice and the seventh year of seven, on the seventh year of seven years, uh, every 49 years, when the year of Jubilee came around and all of the debts were forgiven and all of the land returned to its owners and all of the people were freed um, who had been in bondage. A very joyous occasion. We're trying to combine these two ideas. And in my view, Jubilee is, is all about <laughs> the new things that God is doing which in many times we're restoring the old thing that God did. And I, I personally love that tension, that cognitive dissonance that's present there. So we want to celebrate and rejoice in the new things that God is doing, even as we continue to acknowledge and feel in our hearts and souls and bodies the weight of Lent. And as I said at the start of the season, we did not do an Ash Wednesday service where we said, remember that you're dust and to dust you shall return, because we've had two years of the world reminding us that we are dust and to dust we shall return. So God does new things. Things change all the time in God's world, and, and it might be helpful to start with sort of a, a meta question. Um, which is maybe one that the people who identified as change haters have already been asking. Why does God have to do new things? What's so wrong about the old things? 
Can't God just like let me be for five minutes? <laughs> right. Hebrews 13.8 is a verse that many church kids are asked to memorize. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And given that verse, I think I'm mostly inclined to think that it's less that God's nature changes and more that we change and God makes room for that. And we change, when I, when I say that, I don't just mean in the obvious ways that have to do with the advancement of science and technology and all that. But also the fact that we change in our, uh, in the way we are able to understand God and the way that we are able to understand the revelation of God through the scriptures, through the Bible. In fact, I'm going to come back to that verse that says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever and give you an example of that latter type of us changing. But before I do that, I want to talk about a couple of ways that I see changes happening in the life of faith. I want to tell you about a couple of things that I see that, that change or have changed. And then also, I want to take a minute each time to identify the parts of that example that are actually still constant. The first thing has to do with how God provides for us. God provides for the people of God in new ways all throughout the scriptures. It changes and changes and changes. And I think it's still changing today the way that God provides for us. And our response might be just as wooden and stubborn as the response of the Israelites and the early Christians. So, I've told you before, we're not doing the lectionary like full force all through Lent like I usually do, um, but we are taking some of the readings here and there. And one of the readings from the lectionary for today is Joshua 5, verses 9 through 12. Um, and uh, I'll read parts of it for you. I, I, it, we may have the whole text on screen. There might be none on screen. I, I added this kind of late to the slide uh, deck that I sent to our uh, tech loft volunteer today. But the point is that the, this is a moment in the, people of, uh, in the history of the people of God where they've finished their wanderings through the wilderness. This the Exodus story after being freed from slavery in Egypt. They've wandered for 40 years. They're right on the edge of the promised land. They're actually right next to Jericho. Right? And if you know that story, you know there's a whole host of other big, big, big questions that we might want to ask about what's going on there that I'm not going to ask today. But what happened is the Israelites, while they were encamped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover. This is from Joshua 5, 9 through 12. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land. What is manna? What is that? Exactly. That's what it literally means in the Hebrew. What is that? Because manna was bread from heaven that God gave to the people as they were wandering so that they would have enough sustenance to get through each day. And here they are on the cusp of receiving the promise that God had given to their ancestor Abraham hundreds of years before. 
And one morning they're going to wake up and the very way that God has given them food every day for four decades is gone. Forty years of provision, completely gone. Forty years of parents waking up and being woken up by their children. Let's be honest, it was just, that's one thing that doesn't change. Bringing those kids outside and having the kids look at the ground and go, what is that? And them saying, that is the bread that God has provided for us to eat, for you to eat. Day after day, week after week, year after year, a whole generation passed. Nothing had changed with the manna. And here they are on the edge of the promised land and boom, literally overnight, the whole thing changes. And that must have been very jarring for them. How, how are we supposed to eat when the provision that we have understood for literally our whole lives has been taken away from us? Why would God do that to us? Little did they know that something better was in store for them. They would eat the produce of the land. The land flowing with milk and honey. And the funny thing is, if you know a little bit more about this story, you know that the people, um, the reason that they got the manna was they were complaining about their food in the first place. (laughs) This is one of the most hysterically funny stories in scripture, I think. (laughs) Because the people have been enslaved in Egypt for centuries. And God raises up Moses, and the whole, you know, Prince of Egypt thing happens, and they lead them, he leads the people out of Egypt across the Red Sea, miraculous uh, redemption that would come to be like the, the way God's people understand redemption for the rest of time probably and they're out of Egypt like three days <laughs> and, and they're saying this from Exodus 16 if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger and then in another telling of this, of this story, this is one of my favorite verses. I should make this my life verse. It's officially my life verse now. They say, we have nothing to eat and we hate this detestable food. <laughs> that is my life. It really was my life verse. I just didn't know it. <laughs> Little did they know that something better was in store for them. Do not remember the things of old. Let go of the past. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? No, not usually. And not to put too fine a point on it for us today, but think... Think about, for us, just in the category of sustenance of our food, how many things changed for us in the fairly recent past. Let's just say the last two years or so, pulling a random number out of the air. Some of our favorite foods weren't available for a while. We thought we had to scrub our cucumbers with Lysol for a while. (laughs) We're laughing at ourselves, but we all did it. Most of us did it. Some of us did it. A couple of us did it. (laughs) Right? A lot, I mean, a lot more of us have Instacart accounts than did back then. How many of you have an Instacart account that's less than two years old? Yeah. 
and I'm making, I'm making uh, fun jokes here, but that's, that's probably because for most of us, we did not experience the significant job loss and the, the absolute need for the government assistance that happened and all the other factors that happened to many people in the way they pay for our food. I'm willing to bet that most of us in the room did not actually fall asleep feeling hungry during the pandemic, even though all of those little details about how, um, how our sustenance came to us actually did change. And I don't think we should necessarily dismiss the weight of the ch those types of changes. Um, if you add up a thousand different little changes like that, that gets pretty heavy pretty fast. And in every one of those moments, we could have maybe imagined <laughs> if we had the spiritual space to do it, the words of the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And in that case, we probably would have said, yeah, I actually do perceive it. And I liked the old way better. But remember that the constant is the same. God still provides for us. That doesn't change. What changes is our readiness to receive it in the package that it's coming to us. Right? And I think there's something in our human nature that makes us get so hung up on the package changing <laughs> that we take that to mean God is no longer providing for us. And we say things like, oh, we would have been better off if we died in Egypt. Why did you drag us all the way out here just to kill us from hunger? Right? So God... Uh, provides for the people in new ways. That's the first thing. And the second thing is God is worshipped in new ways. There's probably 50 different versions of, you know, points that I could have put in this sermon, but I'm going to talk briefly about how God is worshipped in new ways. You remember a minute ago I quoted that verse that I said many church kids had to memorize. It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's from Hebrews 13.8. And um, one of the interesting things about the Bible is that very often, if you put that little verse that's been surgically removed from its context back into the paragraph where it was found, in the chapter where it was found, in the book where it was found of the Bible, it takes on a little different meaning. It's almost as if it was not intended to be digested ten words at a time. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever is a sentence that occurs in a paragraph of the chapter 13 of the book of Hebrews, which is in part about a major change in the sacrificial system of worship in the temple. Right? <laughs> this is not a little technicality. This is not like, oh, the church went from using an organ to having guitars and drums, right? This is like the whole system of how we understand God is to be worshipped, how we understand our communal sins are to be forgiven in a communal way. To say nothing of just the simple packaging of religious ritual, which is so comforting and important to all of us, which we all really need, all of that was turned on its head with the, the full and final sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that verse, which I think a very reasonable person, given just that one sentence, could take it to mean nothing ever changes with God. 
Things are always going to be the same. But that's not an intellectually honest reading of Hebrews chapter 13. (laughs) Because the whole context is that everything had changed for the people. And the one constant was Jesus. Little did they know that something better was in store for them. And here again, we could think back on how much our own rhythms of worship, our own religious practice, our own constellation of rituals has changed over the last two years against our will and preference. I have to tell you, you know, um, Nadia Boltzweber, who's a a wonderful pastor, uh, says that pastors should not lead from their wounds. That they, should, they can lead from their scars, but not their wounds, right? And I'll be honest with you, I'm not quite sure whether this is an open wound still or if it has started to become a scar for me, but I need to tell you that uh, I have never felt so consistently down in the middle of a week about my work as I did during the pandemic, particularly when we were remote, 100% of the time. So many times, more times than I could possibly count, I found myself in despair in the middle of the week thinking, I cannot preach another sermon to my computer screen. I can't do it. it turns out I could. I, I'm really, I don't mean to make it all about me. Um, I'm sure that you have some version of that. You probably said a bunch of times, I cannot listen to another sermon on my computer screen. (laughs) Or I cannot go to another staff meeting on my computer screen. Or whatever it was. We all were in a very similar boat. Not exactly the same, but a very similar boat. And some of you, I just need to acknowledge, had your job way, way worse than I had mine. So it's not a poor me situation. I'm really trying to build some solidarity with you here. Maybe even just limiting it to the concept of what, what and how we, like how we worship on a Sunday. Maybe you are still sorting out for you what it means even to worship God in the so-called new normal. Right? And that's okay. I would encourage you to be gentle and kind to yourself about that. But here's the thing, and this is why I even bring it up. Because if it were just an open wound, I would, I would, I would obey Nadia's advice. But here's what I found. This is how the wound healed and is healing for me. Despite my own sense of despair, week after week after week after week, I would get in front of my computer screen on a Sunday and find that God showed up in ways that I did not think were possible. In beautiful and unexpected ways. In ways that have had long-lasting benefit to our community and to my work. I mean, for goodness sake, the pre-sermon reading was read from Finland today. (laughs) And that's just one example. So the constant is that God continues to form the community of faith, including by uh, our patterns of worship, our rituals, uh, the way we do things. Even when those change, for reasons that are outside of our control, what is not changing is God's presence in the midst of those ways of worshiping. So 
So God provides in new ways, and God is worshipped in new ways, but God continues to provide, and we continue to worship God and meet God in our acts of worship. Earlier this week, I had the privilege uh, of going back to my alma mater, Roberts Wesleyan College, and uh, giving a version of this sermon in their midweek chapel service. Now, it only took them just shy of 23 years to invite me back to do this. (laughs) I'm not sure, based on the sermon, if it'll be another 23 years, but I got to do it at least once. That was really wonderful. And I started, you know, being nostalgic as one does in those situations. And I I thought about my 21-year-old college senior self, you know, about to graduate with an undergraduate degree in Christian ministry. I was so extremely devoted and earnest. And I I thought for sure that I understood the world. Like, I guess every 21-year-old does. And 44-year-old does. And then it takes a couple of decades to realize the truth. But I was very content with that verse in Hebrews. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I was very content to read it without the rest of the chapter, to say nothing of the other chapters of the Bible where I have found new meaning that I never could have imagined finding at age 21. Little did I know that there was something better in store for me, too. The truth is, Change can be extremely painful, even for those people, and I don't know if I'm one of them or not, um, depends on the circumstance probably, uh, even for people who, who would say that they kind of like change, they like to improvise and adapt on the fly. Change can be extremely painful, especially when it concerns things that you believe in ways that you worship. It's not easy to accept a new thing, even if it's a, a really beautiful new thing that the Holy Spirit leads you to, because very often accepting a new thing means admitting that you were wrong about something. And that, I know for sure I don't like. <laughs> like one of those dumb pastor moments. How many of y'all like to admit that you're wrong? Right? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> or, if not wrong, it means that you have to admit that you failed to understand something perfectly, and I'm also not a big fan of that. I like to think that I understand everything perfectly. Even now, even today, I think that. Boy, I'm glad I'm not 21 anymore. Glad I figured everything out here at 44. (laughs) So the difficulty in accepting the change that you see around you might be because it means you have to admit you were wrong about something. It might mean that you have to admit that you failed to understand something in its fullness. But it might also be simply that your world has come crashing down around you through no fault or ignorance or arrogance of your own. And you are having trouble seeing God in the midst of the rubble. And if that's you, then that is okay. Again, I will encourage you as your pastor to be gentle and kind to yourself in the midst of that. But this is what I believe God does. What God has always done. God makes things new. In fact, you'll hear at the benediction of the service, at the end of the service, that on the very last page of the Bible, God is still making things new. So when we all get to heaven, what a beautiful day that will be. 
Oh. It would be really nice if we didn't have to endure any more change at that point. But God is still making all things new. <laughs> God help us. Thanks be to God. Let me leave you with something that has not changed, something that I believe will never change, which is God's deep, abiding, unending, bottomless love for every single one of you, for every person in creation. Um, Someone shared, I hope it's okay to say, it was Sean who shared on Tuesday night at our Tuesday Together gathering this verse from Romans um, that was so powerful for us to think about and to claim for ourselves. It's Romans eight thirty-eight and 39. It says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some of you memorized that. I could see you saying it along with me. A whole lot of things have changed in the world. A whole lot of things have changed in me. A whole lot of things have changed in you. In my case, if I think over the last two decades, there's more things that have changed than I... I probably would not even recognize my faith today if you showed it to me when I was 21 years old. And yet I would not go back to that one for all the riches in in the world. But God's love is something that has not changed. God's love is the same today that it was in 1999. God's love is the same in March of 2022 as it was in March of 2020 the month that shall not be named. (laughs) Oops, I just did. So when you find yourself wondering if a new thing that you perceive is from God or not, when you find yourself wondering if whether it's from God or not, you can tolerate it, you can make it through another season of upheaval, another version of the new normal, Make that your starting point. Make the love of God your starting point. The love that nothing can separate you from. And then go forward with boldness and drink from those waters. Do not remember the former things, do not consider the things of old. God is doing a new thing in the desert. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? And will you not draw from that spring and drink and satisfy your soul? Let me pray for us before we take communion. God who is constant and who is always present in every change that the world brings. We pray for the courage and strength and wisdom to perceive the new thing that you are doing, to receive it, not as a curse, but as a new form of blessing that we may not understand yet.
And when we are in the depths of our worry and concern and stubbornness, remind us that nothing can separate us from your love. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.